grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Hey, this is exactly what Ruth did. She left family and friends and home, everything and everyone that God might be her God. She turned from her idols and put her trust in Him. And He's saying that can't go unrewarded. That won't go unrewarded. As Pastor Sam finishes Ruth chapter 2, Ruth is learning that Naomi's people, who are now her people, have laws in place to help someone in her situation. She is also learning that Boaz, like Jesus, gives so much more. Not by obligation to the law, but because of love. Well, Boaz, we're told, came from Bethlehem, verse 4, and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you again. No problem between capital and labor. No tensions, no picket lines. It's just the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. That's God's intention. That's his heart. Well, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Boaz takes notice of Ruth and he asks his foreman about Ruth. And then in verses 8 and 9, he speaks directly to Ruth. Note what he has to say. You will listen, my daughter, will you not? So he's speaking to her. He's older than she is. He's expressing care and concern for her. So he tells her, do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Take note of that phrase. It'll be important later on. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now, I like this because there's no way at this point you could imagine or they could imagine what God had in store for them. It's just an older, kind gentleman taking care of a young, needy widow and her mother-in-law. Because to provide for Ruth is to provide for Naomi. This guy's related to Naomi. He's actually legally responsible to provide for her. But we're going to see that, well, he's not about the law at all. This is a man who loves, who cares for his workers, who cares for the poor. This is a guy who cares. Now, again, there's no way at this point you would know unless you read ahead. These two are going to get married. And not only that, they are going to be great grandma and great grandpa to King David. God is going to do something miraculous in spite of the fact that Elimelech blew it and took his family from the land of promise and blessing to the cursed Moabites, and in spite of the fact that, well, Ruth grew up among those idol-worshiping people, 
she had turned her back on that life, on those idols, on her own family. And this brings me to what the Lord has been kind of dealing with as I've been considering this passage, really for the past two weeks, not just getting ready this week. This is sort of the heart of what the Lord's been impressing on me. Everything God does, he does in the light of eternity. Everything he does, he does, well, seeing life generationally. Now, if you're really young, and a few of you are, it's hard to see past the weekend. You know, you're, you're working during the week, and you're like, this is what I'm living for, the weekend. Now, you don't have to be young to live that way or think that way, by the way. But as you get older, you start to think a little more in terms of, well, what's going to happen over the next year or five years or 10 years. Now, I've never been that guy with the five-year or 10-year plan. I just, that's not me. But I do have a day timer. And I do sit down and I say, Lord, you know what's going to happen here. You have a plan for Calvary, Chico. I don't have to figure it out. But I don't want to do anything to mess it up. So if there's something I need to be doing now, if there's something you want from me now, Lord, direct me, show me, guide me, give me wisdom, give me insight. Why? I know he's thinking generationally. And, and because he's looking at this two and, and these two, and they're just like looking at each other. And she's saying, wow, he's so kind and generous. And, and he's probably thinking, whew, she's, she's nice. And, but whatever he was thinking, the bottom line, God's thinking, this would be some real good great-grandparents for David the king. And he's looking at us, and he's seeing things the very same way. He's concerned for our kids, those of us who have children, just as concerned or more concerned than we are. He's concerned for our grandkids. And even if you don't have them yet, well, he already knows who they'll be and what he wants to do in and through them. He's concerned for our great-grandkids and our great-great-grandkids. He's looking down through the years to come. If he tarries and a couple more or a few more generations do live on this earth before he takes us home or comes again and establishes his kingdom, well, it's certainly more important what happens in the long picture and the big picture than what happens to me today or how I feel today or what I get today or what I do today. Well, that's only important as it relates to the big picture. And so again, the only thing I have to do to not mess it up or make it more difficult because God's going to get his thing done with or without me is to set my heart on him daily. Not just to commit my life to him and think, I'm just, okay, I'm a Christian and I'll just live and then the Lord will come and I'll be in heaven and then we'll come back and I'll be on earth. But, but Lord, I set my heart on you. I, I want to know your will. I want to accomplish what you've planned and purposed for me. You know the history, many of you, perhaps not all of you, God chose a man named Abraham. And he chose Abraham so he could bring forth the nation of Israel. And he promises that he's going to do that. And he brings forth Israel and chooses them over all the nations in the world, not to exclude the nations, but to reach the nations. He didn't choose Abraham because he was better. He just had to start somewhere. And then he chooses Israel, not because they were better, but because it would be obvious that this little nation, if they were protected by and blessed by God, Everyone should have recognized it was the Lord. His intention 
all the world, all the nations would recognize him because of them. And then he brings forth Israel from Abraham so that he could bring forth the Messiah, the Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus. So he could bring forth the church so we could be with him in eternity. So when he picks Abraham, you have to see it. He's thinking about you at that point. And he's thinking about your children and your grandchildren. And he's thinking of all of us in heaven together. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of the rest of them. All the way down through the ages. All the way to us. We talked about it Sunday. We're going to see one another in heaven. We're going to be with David and Daniel and all those other characters. Man. But all of that to say... When he established us, his church, he did it with a purpose. And that is, again, that the nations would know him. He's not just working for us and in us. His desire is to work through us and in a very practical way. We are a part of the church universal, not just a part of the church that's living today, but a part of the church that's gone before us and a part of the church that will follow after us. It's all one glorious work when you come to the, the, you know, the heart of God or the plans of God, the purposes of God. Well, anyway, all of that brings us to one other point, and I want to make it and we'll press on and into the next section here. Even though God's thinking and planning ahead even though God sees the big picture and thinks generationally, he's still concerned with the daily details of our lives. He still shows care and concern for the minor details of our lives. In fact, listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, here's his bottom line. Do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you." He's concerned with the big picture, the long view, and he's concerned with the minute details, our personal needs tonight, the needs of our kids, the needs of our extended family or extended fellowship. Well, at this point, 
as Boaz blesses her, verse 10, she fell on her face, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you've left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat behind the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Now, as she expresses her humility and her heart, asking why he was blessing her so, we find Boaz is an awful lot like Jesus, who pays attention to, takes note of, and rewards everything we do to bless others or to bless others in his name. In Matthew 25, 14, and many of you are familiar with it, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. The context of that, of course, is it's a positive and a negative. When you watch out for the, the hurting and the hungry, when you visit those in jail or prison, when you clothe the naked or well, whatever you do, for them, he says, it's, it's as if you were doing it unto me. In fact, he says, you've done it unto me. He receives it and he rewards it. Peter in Mark 10, as Jesus was sharing about, well, leaving things behind and following after him, Peter blurts out, hey, we've left all to follow you. And I like it because it's sort of like, Though he doesn't say it just like this, Peter's saying, hey, what do we got coming? You know, what's in it for us? We've left all. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, he adds, and in the age to come, eternal life. Hey, this is exactly what Ruth did. She left family and friends and home, everything and everyone that God might be her God. She turned from her idols and put her trust in him. And he's saying that can't go unrewarded. That won't go unrewarded and then in Matthew 10, 40, listen, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And this is the part I had to get to. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. He says, you can't even give someone a drink without God taking note of it. 
making note and saying, I'm going to reward that if you're doing it for him or for the gospel. Well, verses 12 through 14, and we read them. Not only is she expressing her humility, but he's giving God the glory. As she expresses her appreciation for his kindness, and I love this, he's just saying, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now that phrase becomes incredibly important in the next chapter. So I'm just mentioning these. We talked about sticking with the gals and and now this phrase, hey, God's going to bless you. God's going to provide for you under whose wings you have come for refuge. And then the next scene, and we saw it, one of fellowship and feasting as he invites her to eat with him and her reapers. He says at mealtime, come there in the latter part of verse 14, eat of the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. We'll revisit these and see their typological you know, uh, application. But for now, let's just stay with the story. She sat beside the reapers. He passed parched grain. She ate and was satisfied. What does that mean? All she needed, she had. And then it says she kept some back. Why? She was going home to Naomi. She wanted to take plenty for her. She had no idea how much God was going to provide for her through Boaz. Well, verse 15, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. I love this. It's handfuls on purpose. That's what he's saying. As you're going through, make sure you drop some if you notice she's behind you. As you're going through, make sure that Well, you don't rebuke her for following too close or being in the... No, he's saying, I want her right there. See, that's love, not law. There was nothing in the law that would have required such action. But he's just saying, hey, we're going to take care of her because she's taking care of Naomi. I see the woman she is, the care she shows, and God's going to bless her. And God's going to bless her through him. Because God had so blessed him. Well, verse 17, she gleaned in the field till evening, beat out what she'd gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought out and gave to her what she'd kept back after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives, a kinsman redeemer. That will be the theme of our next study. This guy was in a position 
to not just care for them financially, but to set them up and provide real security. Well, Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they finish all my harvest. Wait a minute. It might seem like a small thing, a subtle thing. I want to draw it to your attention. That's not exactly what he said. He said, stay close to my young maidens. Now, I don't know if it's just what happens when you're from Moab, but she kind of heard, hang out with the young guys. And he had actually said, I've commanded the young guys not to touch you. In other words, he was providing protection for her. He's saying, stay close to the gals. You'll be safe. I've commanded the guys not to touch you. She tells her mother-in-law here, he said, stay by those young men until they finish the harvest. And I love this. Naomi says to Ruth, not even being in on the conversation, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, you go out with the young women. You see, the same counsel, an older guy, an older gal, a little more wisdom, a little more insight. And she says, as well, Boaz had, stick with the gals and that the people did not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Just three things to consider, to dwell on as we conclude tonight. Ruth ate and was satisfied. Of course, this is going to point us to the bread of life, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, who tells us in John 6 that he was the bread that came down from heaven, that gives life to the world. But there's an invitation and a question in Isaiah 55. It says, Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the question, and by the way, the invitation, a little bizarre. He says, come and buy. Don't worry if you have no money, but come and buy anyway without your money, without price. And then he asked, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. She ate and was satisfied. Isaiah 55 invites us to the table and says, find your satisfaction in the Lord, in the word, in the things of God. Why? There's no real satisfaction outside of them. The second thing, Boaz, again, did far more than the law required, and that's called grace. Someone has described grace as being God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an easy way to remember what grace really is. God's riches at Christ's expense. And then finally, Naomi she goes from expressing her bitterness, and you saw it, we read it, we considered it in chapter one. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Why? She was. 
She goes from expressing that bitterness in chapter one to praising God for his kindness in chapter two. And I love this because God isn't rebuking her for her bitterness. He sees her heart is broken. She's lost her husband. She's lost her boys. She's destitute, living back in her homeland with nothing except this gal who somehow saw the Lord in her and decided to follow after the Lord because of her. And now she's saying, blessed be he of the Lord, the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. When we show love to others, the recipient of that love is not the only one who is blessed. Certainly the Lord is blessed, and here we see Naomi blessed as she finds reason to praise God once again. Boaz as well, as his love is an act of worship to God. Join us next time as Pastor Sam begins Ruth chapter 3. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you soon. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down The Calvary Road. And your grace.